Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good to be with you today. It's, it's time for me to be the farmer. Time to be the farmer. It's time for you to be the soil. You know, it's, um, it's really interesting when the Lord Jesus taught. There were certain times, and, and we remember them because he, he said something like, when someone said, what's the greatest command? Now, if, you're, if you have any kind of background in faith and any kind of breadth of knowledge of the Bible, you're gonna, be, you're gonna fill in the gap straight away. Like, what's the greatest command? It is to what? It's to love the Lord your God. Yes, with all your heart. So, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Now, we remember these things because like they're, they're pivot moments. Yeah? They pivot. They're like he's stating a pro, he's making a priority statement, so it anchors with us, and, and we acknowledge it. Now, what if I said to you, uh, firstly, true statement that the Gospel of Mark was the first one written. That's what scholars believe. Probably with the Apostle Peter as the author, and Mark being the scribe, and then uh, and then uh, Matthew and Luke traded off it. So those three then get called the Synoptic Gospels. The, it's the first gospel. The first parable of the first gospel, Jesus said, is a key parable. He said, if you don't get this one, you're not going to get any of the other parables. It's a little bit like one of those, you know, what's the greatest command? Well, he's effectively saying, well, his key linchpin, I'm going to put it in the, in the first gospel, the first parable of the first gospel. And he said, it's a key gospel parable. And guess what? He interpreted it. So we don't just get the story, we get Jesus opening the story up. So I said, it's time for me to be the farmer. Let me read to you from the Scriptures. Mark chapter four, it says, He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across the field, some of the seed fell on the footpath. The birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plant soon wilted under the sun and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they sprouted, grew and produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even 100 times as much as had been planted. And then he said to everyone, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Well, that's the end of the message to the public from the Lord Jesus. I hope you enjoyed it today. God bless you. Shortest sermon you've ever had. Well, the passage goes on and says, later when Jesus was alone with the 12 and with the others who were gathered around, they asked Him what the parable meant. Okay, so now we have the Lord Jesus opening up the parable. The Lord Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other ones? Okay, that's Jesus saying, here's a key parable. First parable, first gospel, key parable interpreted by Jesus Himself. So pay attention. The farmer plants seed by taking God's Word to others. First thing I'd like you to notice is that Jesus did not say, I'm the Father, I'm the farmer. Elsewhere, if you know your Bible a little bit, you might know that 
Jesus told a different parable about the wheat and the tares, or the wheat and the weeds. And it's there when Jesus told that story, He said, God is the farmer and the seeds are people. But this time He does not say God is the farmer. He simply just says, the farmer brings the Word of God to others. The Word of God is the seed. So in other words, anytime someone is bringing the Word to another, they're being the farmer. I'm in farmer mode right now. Which means you're in what mode? You're in soil mode right now. But flip it around. Flip it around. So I step off the, uh, step off the platform, Pastor Benny. I honour you, Pastor Benny. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. What an amazing church that God has built under your leadership. So I could swap seats. And if Pastor Benny opened up the Word of God, I would be in soil mode. Now that simple piece is missed by a lot of Christians. Sometimes you are the farmer. Sometimes you are the soil. You have a dual function uh, in, in the story. So the farmer plants seed by taking God's Word to others. Now anyone can take God's Word to others. If you're at the conference yesterday, I said one of the things that we have learned from disciple making movements around the world and what I've learned from the Lord Jesus Himself is that He discipled people to faith in Him as well as to a life of faith in Him. And that this, this process, which frequently in the Christian mindset gets reduced to a moment and we call it evangelism, is actually a broader process of discipleship because Jesus was the master discipler and He brought the Word of God to people and He discipled the disciples to faith in Him and then ultimately to a life of faith in Him. So every one of us can be the farmer you actually would have people in your world where Jesus used the language of a person of peace when He sent out the 12 and also when He sent out the 72. There are people in your world where God is already active. And if you were to say to them, they're not Christians yet, and if you were to say to them, I'm looking for someone to read the Bible with, I don't know whether you'd be interested, they would love to do it with you because they like you, they listen to you, they would even serve you. And the, the God's already at work in their hearts. So I'm, this today, right now, this is an invitation for you to be a farmer. I actually think this is where the parable ultimately lands, but we're gonna get there in, in a little bit. So now Jesus begins to open it up. He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only have Satan come at once uh, and, and take it away. Matthew puts it this way in Matthew 13, 19, when he, he's telling the same parable, he just expands it slightly. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it, he said. He, he adds a layer of understanding. And then the devil comes and snatches away the seed that had been planted in the heart. So here's a really simple paradigm a truth that's not understood is quickly lost. If you make it difficult, if you're ever in farmer mode, some of you are in farmer mode sowing seeds because you lead a life group and you're hoping to facilitate opening the Word of God. Some of you will know how to disciple people to faith in Jesus and you'll be reading the Scriptures with them. And <clears throat> if, if you make it difficult to understand, all you're doing is giving the devil an opportunity to take it away. Keep it accessible, keep it understandable. You know, in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 10, 
It says this, never forget the day when you stood before the Lord your God at Mount Sinai where He, he told me, summon the people before me and I will personally instruct them. Well, there's a lesson. God's gonna be their instructor and they will learn to fear me as long as they live. They will teach their children also to fear me. Now, here's what I'd like you to note. That where it says, they will learn and they will teach, it's the same word, lamed, lamed. They will learn, they will teach. We, we can derive a very simple principle from this. To teach is actually to cause to learn not to simply sprout information. I could, I could be here and I could be going pomp, pomp, pomp with information on you, but not be causing you to learn, in which case I'm not really teaching. To teach is to cause to learn. So you break truth open and you make it accessible, which is exactly what uh, the Lord Jesus does uh, uh, repeatedly. So truth that cannot be understood, it's very difficult to receive, you're only giving the devil a chance to snatch it away. Break it down, develop your language, develop your story, develop your metaphors, so people have access to the truth of the Word of God. Jesus goes on. They sit on the rocky soil, represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, what does that mean? They don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's Word. The issue here is vulnerability. When hard times, when persecution comes, they fall away because they don't have deep roots. What do you think deep roots means? There's a couple of aspects to having, to having deep roots. I would like to put to you that deep rootedness is about being placed with like-hearted and like-minded believers who are fruitful. Deep rootedness is about having a growing understanding of the Word of God, as well as being relationally connected to others who share the faith. I don't know if you're aware of this, but in most churches, about 10% of the people turn over every year. If there are 100 people last January and 100 people this January, there'll be 10 new people. If there are 1,000 people last year and 1,000 people this year, it'll be about 100 new people. It's a fascinating phenomena. Some died, some moved, some felt it was like time to go to another church, yeah? It's like the guy, he was on an island, he was marooned on an island for two decades and they finally rescued him. And there were three buildings on the island. They said, what are the buildings? Oh, that one's my home. They said, what's that one? He said, oh, that's the church I built to go and worship God. They said, what's the third building? He said, oh, that's the church I used to go to, but it's no good. <laughs> so but there is a movement of people, but what you maybe don't realise is that those who move on from a church in the vicinity of 90% of them will have one thing in common. You know what that one thing they have in common is? Their exclusive point of contact with the church was a worship service. That was their only point of contact. They come, the preaching is good, the worship is good. They think Pastor Benny is awesome. Pastor Dan, they go, these guys are just fantastic guys, you know. But after a year, year and a half, two years, three, five years, a little voice from them says, I need more than this. The voice is true. They do need more than that because they're just coming in and out of a worship service. They misinterpret the voice. They say, I'm, it's time to go somewhere else. And they do it all 
over again. Am I describing your life experience here? What you actually need to do is develop deep-rootedness relationally with like-hearted, like-minded people. You do need to develop your deep-rootedness in the Word of God, but here the Word of God is actually the seed. The, the, deep, the soil is you, your heart, your life. And, and, and so deep-rootedness, we want the Word of God to put deep roots down to our life. We also need to be deep-rooted relationally because that way when the hard times come, when at work you're the only Christian, you're getting mocked, your husband or your wife doesn't share the faith and, and it's, it's a difficult time. Uh, the deep-rootedness in relationship, both with God and with people, is essential to hold you true. Jesus goes on, the seed that fell among thorns represents those who hear God's Word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out. Now we're talking spatial is crowded out by the worries of, of, of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. We're gonna come back to that one at the end of the parable. No fruit is produced, but the issue is spatial. Okay, so I'm up the front right now. I'm in farmer mode, you're in soil mode, and I'm trying to open up the Word of God and make it accessible to you. But right now, if you had the biggest fight with your husband and wife as you drove here, you're screaming at the kids in the back seat. If this week you lost your job, you got your health report and they said it's not good. This is a life-threatening condition. We don't know whether, you, whether it's gonna work. If, if right now you are so fully occupied with your child who started to date someone who's a non-Christian, or you know that there's some sort of addiction and brokenness happening in your family, and the space, like I'm up here and my mouth is doing this, but your ears are blocked because the space is full. It's full by worries. For some, it's full by the lure of wealth. It's like, and so in this sense, it's to do with priority. Like where does God fit into these crises that are happening in my life? Or where does God fit into my desire for promotion and to get forward in life? It is spatial and the Word is crowded out is what Jesus said. There's just no room in you because it's full of everything else. Now we could be citing, you know, Jesus saying, seek first the kingdom of God and et cetera, all these things will be added to you or, or in Philippians 4, 6 and 7, you know, don't worry about anything, but bring prayer and petition to God, etc. We We need to be able to trust God with the challenges. That's a faith issue. God, I trust you. I hope you've developed a good narrative of your walk with God and seen Him come through time and time again. Jesus goes on. And now he's talking about good soil. Do you want to be good soil? Oh, don't overwhelm me. Pastor Benny, what's that? Do you want to be good soil? Yes. Okay, don't answer this question. Are you good soil? Don't answer. Are you, just ask yourself, are you good soil? Because Jesus now expands on this whole idea, when the Word of God finds good soil, something happens. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. In Luke chapter 8, verse 15, Luke, same parable, puts it this way. The seed that fell on good soil represents 
honest and good-hearted people who hear God's Word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. So a question, what's the huge harvest? Mark talks about multiplication, 30, 60, 100 fold. Luke speaks about a huge harvest. In contrast to earlier, remember, no fruit is produced. Now for a lot of Christians, as soon as they hear the word fruit, they go straight to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So they see, well, no fruit is produced. Well, so clearly when the Word of God hits good soil, fruit is produced. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now in that paradigm, it all could stop with you. And I would describe that paradigm as redemptive lift, which is real. Redemptive lift is real. You put your trust in Jesus, you say, what He did on the cross, He did for me. He died for my sins. And He was raised in newness of life. And as I put my trust in Him, I'm completely forgiven of my sins. I'm born again. I have newness of life. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I get to live into the purposes of God. Therefore, I become a better, bigger version of myself. That's reasonable, isn't it? That's reasonable, isn't it? You guys are very good. Is this like an 8.30 phenomena? Or is this a faith? Like, are you like, are you doing this? Or is this just not polite to respond? Like, like redemptive lift is real. It's real. You do, you become a better husband or a better wife, better friend, better neighbour. You're more honest. You're more hardworking. You're more long-suffering. Look, crumbs, you're, you're kinder. You're more patient, etc. Redemptive lift is real. But here's my question. Is that what Jesus was talking about? I don't think so. I don't think that's actually what the Lord Jesus was talking about. Because the, the other option of a huge harvest is to do with a huge harvest of souls. That is actually to be a multiplying disciple. I didn't put it in my, you're not gonna have it on your slides there because I didn't, I missed it. John chapter four. After this masterclass of discipleship of Jesus with the woman at the well in Samaria, and she's gone back and to the village and a whole lot of villagers are coming out. And Jesus said to His disciples, lift your eyes and look, the fields are wide under harvest. And He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. But He said, the harvest or the fruit they harvest is what? The fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. John 4, look it up. I'm gonna guess 26. You can look it up. You'll be able to find it. Maybe 34, doesn't matter. You can look it up. John chapter four, you'll find it there. And Jesus links the, the words fruit, harvest and souls. So it's reasonable if, if elsewhere Jesus linked the language of fruit, harvest and souls, it's not unreasonable, that's a better way of putting it, it's not unreasonable to say here, when He's talking about when the Word of God comes to you, that there's a huge harvest, that the Lord Jesus Himself is normalising being a multiplying disciple. That it's normal 
Now I'm gonna get some passive resistance at this point in time, because for the vast majority of the people in this room, this is not your life experience, because we have redefined maturity to knowledge of the Word of God and character. So you've got a good knowledge of the Bible and you've got a good character, you are therefore mature. You know how to pray, you worship, you tithe, you serve, you're mature in your faith. You recognise the paradigm? You are are mature. But if this is the Lord Jesus normalising multiplication as one of His disciples, we can be very mature in knowledge, we can be very mature in character and a complete baby as a disciple maker. Now that's really, that is such a challenging word because for some of you, you have walked with the Lord Jesus for decades and you have never discipled another person to faith in Jesus. So right now, you're wanting to reject what I'm saying because it doesn't reflect back well. Like honestly, is, is this the audacity of this preacher from Melbourne? Pastor Benny, why did you bring such a stupid preacher from Melbourne to say such a thing as that? Is he suggesting that after I've walked with the Lord Jesus for 40 years, praying, worshipping, serving, tithing, for goodness sake, the sacrifice I've made for the Kingdom of God, is he saying that I'm an immature disciple maker? Possibly. Did the Lord Jesus say about this anywhere else? Like honestly, if if this is actually, if he was taking this idea that when the Word of God actually finds good soil, a person becomes a multiplying disciple. If that's actually what he's saying, he must have said it somewhere else. Mustn't he? Thank you, I appreciate that nod. How about Matthew 13, 33? Again, sorry guys, I didn't put it on the slides. Matthew 13, 33, you can find it, where Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman put into a lump of dough and it worked its way through the whole dough. Now really, hands up, how many of you have ever made bread? I've made bread. How many people have made bread? Ever made bread? Wow, that's really underrepresented bread makers in this congregation, okay. All right, let me just tell you what happens. It's like these days you've got a bread maker and you, you get the flour and you get some water and some other stuff. You put it all in. It works it all together into like this wet, gooey mess. And you put a little sachet of yeast in there. It kind of looks like coarse dust, kind of grey stuff. It's really kind of dusty, but slightly more grainy than dust. You put it in and then it kneads it through, moves it all through, and then you have to let the dough sit. And when the dough sits, It like doubles or more in size. How does that happen? Quick kitchen biology lesson. Because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like yeast. The woman put into a lump of dough that works its way through all of the dough. How does yeast work its way all through the dough? You know when you cut your bread and you've got all these little air holes in the bread? That's because yeast has a flatulence problem. So it it burps a lot as it's doing its thing. But let me tell you what it does. Yeast is a monocellular monocellular organism. One cell is yeast and a healthy yeast cell given the right environment 
Well, it doesn't do what plants do. You know how plants, you've seen it, one cell breaks in half, becomes two, and then those two become four. Yeast does not do that. Yeast, one cell, puts a little bubble off the side called budding, and it, one healthy yeast cell will bud off 20 to 30 identical yeast cells. And every one of those yeast cells will bud off 20 to 30 yeast cells. Every one of them will bud off 20 to 30 yeast cells. And they just keep munching their way through that dough, burping a lot, multiplying a lot, and they work their way through the whole lot. The only way you stop that process is to kill the yeast by baking it. But if before you bake it, if you snap a little bit of gooey dough off and stick it into another lump of gooey dough, it'll do it again ad infinitum. The normalising of multiplication. Jesus said the kingdom, Matthew 13, 33, the kingdom of God is like yeast. Pretty much any of Jesus' agricultural um, uh, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, etc., and it becomes this huge tree. Uh, we, we get this multiplication effect spoken of so many times, but rather than giving other teaching examples, how about the life example of the Lord Jesus? He came as one. Now, I heard this from Pastor Peter, and I haven't memorized his surname. He spoke at the conference yesterday, and I went, oh, such a good insight. I actually mentioned it to Edie as we were driving here this morning. I said, such a good insight from Pastor Peter. In John chapter 17, the Lord Jesus in, in, in that high priestly prayer, He said, Father, I have completed the work that You gave me to do. Question, which work was that? Because He was yet to go to the cross. What work had He completed? He had multiplied Himself into a group of a dozen disciples, one who would ultimately betray Him and suicide, Judas Iscariot. He multiplied Himself. So in other words, the Lord Jesus demonstrated over somewhere between three and three and a half years what it looked like to prayerfully identify the right type of people that He chose to invite into His world. Now it's, it's essential, if you are going to be a disciple maker like the Lord Jesus, if you are going to be a multiplying disciple like the Lord Jesus, very important that it begins with prayer. And I say that because not everyone is ready to be invited into your world. Some people are not safe to be invited into your world and they are not ready to be discipled. For some people, here's the metaphor that really works for me. Like, you know when the Uber driver brings you, you know, some good Chinese food, you keep the security door locked, just put it on the ground and I'll see you later. You don't know them. You, like, you're not inviting them into your home. The interaction is behind a security door, yeah? But when your friends come over, the door is unlocked, come in. They come into your lounge room, your kitchen, living area, they get to use the bathroom. But for some who are special friends who've come from a long way away, they're gonna stay with you or your family and they're gonna stay and they get access to the bedrooms. Others are your spouse. They get access to your bed and to your body. Different layers of access into your life. The discipleship process is like that. Not everyone is safe or ready or appropriate. 
needs to be prayerfully discerned. But Jesus gave Himself to the few for the sake of the many. He always had global redemption at mind. Always had global redemption at mind. And He gave Himself to the few for the sake of the many. That's why He could pray, Father, mission accomplished. I've done everything You gave me to do. In other words, He had multiplied. The disciples then multiplied. Of course, we've got the big bang on the day of Pentecost where, you know, 3,000 comes. That's, a, that's, a, that's starting with a bang, yes. But very rapidly, it goes to kind of multitudes and great multitudes. And, and all of a sudden, you've got this church planting movement going across uh, that whole, whole region of the world. And you, you've got examples of people who are starting to disciple, inviting people into their world, like Paul with Timothy and Silas, and he's in, investing into their lives in such a way where the Apostle Paul would say, imitate me as I imitate Christ, or elsewhere, I'm gonna send you Timothy, he will remind you of my ways. In other words, the Apostle Paul had multiplied himself into others. So this process of discipling to faith and to a life of faith is the same process. It's a multiplication process. When the seed, the Word of God lands on good soil, it multiplies. Okay, are you good soil? Now, I don't know you, but I know you. We're currently working with churches across 15 denominations. I'm the senior pastor of a church, but we're working across 15 denominations right now. So I'm getting exposed to people across the nation, across the traditions, and also into other, in, into other countries. Now, let me tell you what I know about you. The vast majority of you have never discipled another person of faith in Jesus. That's why Christianity in Australia is in its seventh decade of decline. It's awesome being part of something like this, Faith Community Church, but you are the rare fish. Is it enough for you to be part of an awesome church where something's working and God's blessing it and people are coming to faith in Jesus? Is that enough while the rest of Christianity in the nation goes down the gurgler? Is that enough? Gee, you guys are silent sometimes. I'm expecting. Do you guys not do that? Is that not like, you don't, like the answer to that is no. No, it's not good enough. Of course it's not good enough. And you know what? You, you, can, you, can, you could have bought into the deception and I'm gonna call it a deception. You could have bought into the deception that maturity is simply knowledge and character and nothing more. Because if it's only knowledge and only character, it stops with you and you're a bucket and you're not a conduit. That's a hard word, isn't it? Forgive me for bringing a hard word. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to point out something so obvious from the Word of God that Jesus multiplied and you are little Jesuses. You are Christians if you've ever put your faith in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we walk in His way. What did He do? He multiplied. He taught about multiplication. He said, if you don't get this, how will you understand any other parable? 
oh my goodness, we can miss it. We can miss it so many times. We will just say, oh, I saw the word fruit. It'll be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Because, and some of the, like, believe me, I'm not speaking disparagingly about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I want you to have a deep knowledge of the Word of God. I want you to have good character. But I say to you, if you stop there, you're a bucket and not a conduit, and you are not living into the full purposes of God for your life. I want you to know this, anyone, anywhere, anytime can be a multiplying disciple. Anyone can. You will experience the potential of engaging in this way. You'll experience it as fear if it's new terrain for you. Your primary experience will be fear. However, I would put to you the substance is not fear. The substance is your ego. Because what are you afraid of? I spoke at a set of pastors, about a thousand pastors in India, a conference, multi-day conference. At the end of the conference, they brought up onto the platform widows and their children of the pastors who'd been murdered in the previous 12 months by militant Hindu mobs, about a dozen of them. I'd never been to a pastor's conference where they profile the families of those who'd been martyred in the previous 12 months. It was moving, incredibly moving. I'd been ministering to them and I'm like, I'm down in the front row and I'm like, I am unworthy, I'm so unworthy. And after they'd prayed for them and given them gifts and all that sort of stuff, the man who was facilitating it looked out over this gathering of pastors, about 700 were men, about 300 were women, and he points like this and he says, it could be any one of us next year. Could be any, any one of us next year. And then here's the bit that shocked me. He said, who is willing to give their life for the Lord Jesus? And the spontaneous roar. Think, have you ever seen like the US Navy SEALs where they go, hoorah, you know, you've, you've heard that. It was like that. Spontaneous, who is ready to give their life? Ooh, this big noise came from behind me. Like I jumped on the noise, but it was spontaneous. Just like that, Christians in Australia are afraid that someone might lift their eyebrow at them. Oh, what if my neighbour thinks I'm silly? Oh, what if I don't know the answer? Oh, what if they'll ask a question and I don't know the answer? I got a, I got a perfect response. Are you ready? It works 100% of the time. You ready? Perfect response. If you take notes, write this down. Ready? I don't know. Like it's, it's brilliant. It works really, really well. I don't, I don't know. People are not looking for perfect Christians. They're looking for authentic Christians. Authentic. Keep it real. It's one of your values. So as I walked in here, authenticity. Okay. So let's bring this into land right now. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, please. Let's place our hands out in front of us. And let's become aware of the presence of God. Lord Jesus, This is your parable. You told this story. 
you normalize multiplication with your life and with your teaching. So right now in your presence, we pause. And Father, we acknowledge that we fall way short. We really, really do. The vast majority of us, oh, we fall way short. Not even on our radar that we could be a multiplying disciple. So God, we say we're sorry. We're sorry that we're afraid. We're sorry that we're ashamed. We say sorry that we haven't upskilled. We're sorry that we're distracted, shallow. Father in heaven, I invite you by your Holy Spirit to do your unique work in each heart right now. Thank you for your incredible patience with us. Thank you for your love and goodness to us. Father, there's aspects of this Word today that are incredibly challenging. So once again, Lord, as was my prayer before I walked out onto this platform, once again, we die. We die to ourselves. We die to our ego. We die to our will and ways. We humbly repent of our sins. And we present ourselves to You that we can be the sort of men and women that You desire us to be. Father, by Your Holy Spirit, take the truth of Your Word and plant it deeply in our hearts that we cannot shake it off, we can't run away. Father, just bring Your Word to us in a way that we both understand that honest, good-hearted people will cling to Your Word and produce a huge harvest. So thank You, Lord. I pray right now, Lord, for broken hearts, for highly challenged hearts. Father, I, I come against the lie of the devil who's shouting into some people's hearts and minds right now saying, not you, it can't work, it's not you, it won't work, it, 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 this is wrong. I, I just wanna come against the lie of the evil one. And Lord Jesus, I invite you, have your way in our hearts and minds that we can be the men and the women that you desire us to be, sons and daughters of the living God. So bless and praise your holy name. And God's people agreed and said, Amen, amen and amen. Thank you so much. Thank you.